Hi, welcome to the Inspired Painter Podcast. My name is Jessica Libor, and I am a Philadelphia-based artist, curator, and art professor, as well as artist coach. In this podcast, I cover topics vital to the success of emerging and established artists, like inspiration, mindset, art business relationships, and artist career strategy. You'll also hear interviews from art world luminaries who share their wisdom. My goal for this podcast is for you to feel encouraged, inspired, and in control of your art career, and to help you become the best artist that you can be. Hello, Rebecca. How are you? Hello. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm of great. Of course. Of course. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, for everybody who is listening, I'm here with Rebecca Sailor Sack, and she is an amazing artist. And um, I just wanted to go over a couple of your accomplishments, and then we can talk about your journey. Um, yeah, so you are from the, you know, you went to Tyler School of Art, so in the same city that I went to school at, um, at Temple University, and got your BFA at Cooper Union. You are a recipient of the Fleischer Wind Challenge, the Jacob K. Javits Fellowship from the United States Department of Education, and your work has been exhibited in solo and group exhibitions nationwide, including the Nicelle Bouchan Gallery. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, Westbeth Gallery in New York, Seraphin Gallery in Philadelphia, um, Fetz Gallery in Los Angeles, and Siler Martyr Gallery in New York, the Michener Art Museum, which is, oh, I, I love that museum, actually. I have a funny story <laughs> about that museum um, in Doylestown. Um, well, I, I can just I can just tell you real quick. I got locked into a room there when I was seven years old. And I will never forget it. I thought the ghosts were going to come get <laughs> <at> me. <laughs> it's it's just like night at the museum. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's kind of like an interesting museum anyway, with all those things hanging from the ceiling. Um, at Westchester University, you've exhibited at Stockton University, the University of Delaware, and internationally at the National Art Museum of China. No big deal. Um, Galleria Glance in Torino, Italy, and Don Rocha Gallery in Denmark. You're also in the collection of the National Art Museum of China, Alter Hall, Alter Hall Collection, um, the Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center, in addition to national and international private collections. You're also the program director of the Fine Arts Program, Painting Emphasis Coordinator at the University of the Arts. So very impressive. And, um, <laughs> and you look very young too. So I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, how did you accomplish all of this so fast? Mm -hmm. Like, this is, this is truly amazing. So I'm so excited to have you here, uh, Rebecca, and to talk about your shadow flyers, your most recent series. So um, yeah, what, where, where are you uh, calling in from today? I'm calling in actually from South Philadelphia, um, from my house. Um, my studio is a little bit north of where we are. Mm -hmm. um, and this has been a lovely little sort of uh, snippet in between my academic meetings. So this is great. It's really nice to talk about work. So awesome. That's so great. Well, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about when did you start your path of being a professional artist? 
Oh, well, um, that's a very big question. Uh, I've been, I would say like, I, I sort of knew I wanted to be involved in the arts when I was in high school. Um, and then, you know, I've been incredibly lucky with certain opportunities, like Mm -hmm. that I was accepted to Cooper Union um, and was able to sort of move right into a phenomenal art school. Um, mm -hmm. And then after graduating from Cooper Union, and I should also say too, while I was at Cooper, I studied, I really came to painting and sort of fine arts um, through design, film and photography. Um, oh, okay. And I think probably when I was a sophomore in college, I sort of was wrapping my head around this decision of do I, you know, in what capacity do I want to sort of pursue my work? Um, and then by the time I was a junior or senior, I was really like, I want to be a painter and I want to see where this leads. So after I went to undergrad, I took a year off and I sort of took that year to kind of figure out how to have a practice outside of school. Um, and I spent that year, amazingly, I, I rented this really ramshackle uh, house that was on a uh, river, which actually ended up being um, what was like this incredible experience. And I did that. And I also rode horses for like a year and, and gave kids riding lessons, um, which sort so of cool. does which seems so bizarre, but actually does feature into like what I do now. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went to Tyler School of Art um, to get my MFA. And when I was at Tyler, I was incredibly lucky again. And I was awarded a Jacob K. Javits Fellowship, which uh, sort of enabled me to take a third year of graduate school. Um, so I spent that year studying art history and making paintings in Italy, um, mm -hmm. in Rome. Um, and while I was there, I sort of tried my hand also at, I had a, an amazing opportunity to be a teaching assistant. Sorry if you hear whining, that is my dog who's sitting right next to me, um, okay. who's also my studio partner <laughs> um, and work partner a lot of the time. So she is suddenly deciding she wants to go outside, of course, right now. Um, so then I ended up um, back in Philadelphia and making work and teaching and have been making work since then. So it's in terms of career, it's covered a gamut from, you know, working and being represented with galleries to shifting into what I'm doing now, which is more sort of uh, collaborative practice with scientists, biologists and artists um, and sort of exhibiting in science museums, which is something I'm really, really, really excited about right now. Mm, oh my gosh. I can't wait to talk more about this. That is so cool. I exhibited in a science museum last year, actually, for the first time. Oh, really? Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. The, the Louisiana um, Art and Science Museum in Baton Rouge. Very cool. Yeah. Um, but I think that science and art overlap so much. Like everything that we do as artists has to do with science. Like the color mixing, you know, mm -hmm. um, the form, the mathematical way that we have to construct things sometimes. Um, of course, a lot of emotion is involved as well, but, um, and intuition, but I don't know, like even those can be related back to science, I feel like. So um, I think that's really interesting. How did you get interested in science? When did that, when did that really start? 
Um, that started when I was a baby. No. Um, so <laughs> I, again, and this is where I think like, I mean, one thing I'm, I'm really excited, amazed by it. It's to me awesome that, you know, artists, people have certain things that they grow up, whether they're interested in, and that sort of informs their work or it can inform their work from like a kernel to something much more directly in some ways their whole life. So I grew up with a biologist father who studied uh, cornea and contact lenses. So we used to have like, um, you know, different images of body parts. My dad used to like wake us up in the middle of them, like really, really early in the morning or the middle of the night to collect our tears. Um, oh, one of my that is so yeah. like. It sounds like something from a fairy tale. Like, why did he? It need was not a fun fairy tale. <laughs> it was a horrible fairy tale. Okay. Um, I mean, one of my early memories is like being at the, uh, you know, the community park and my dad points to a building over there and says like, that's where daddy gets his eyes. And it was like a slaughterhouse where they get cow eyes. I mean, it was just like, oh my so gosh. he- yeah and my mom was a physical therapist so she's really interested and comes from a whole family of medicine so um mm -hmm. again there were always you know just as an example like my third grade science fair project was like going to the beach finding a dead seagull bringing it home skinning it boiling it on the kitchen stove and it smelled so bad um and then gluing the bones back together again so like this is something that's always been part mm -hmm. of my interest um Okay. Like take me to any city and I'm at the Natural History Museum in like 10 seconds. Um, so, you know, that sort of real passion for natural history, for archaeology as well, has always been part of my work in various ways. So it just depended on how much it was close to the surface. I think that's amazing. And it really shows in your work the richness and the interest in that because you know, there's something about art that's just about art that's a bit like kind of boring. Um, but when art is about other things, it it has this like other life to it, I feel like. And I can really see that in your work. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, let's see here. Um, so you have, you have so many accomplishments as an artist. Um, and I, I was just so curious what are some of your top secrets for accomplishing so many professional wins as an artist? Because these are not all things that just happened to you. Obviously you went after them. So um, I'm just curious, like, what would you say are the top three things, whether that's like a mindset or a certain habit that you have, or um, yeah, anything that comes to mind that has really been instrumental in helping you achieve so many things um, within your art career? I think like, um, I mean, that's a, again, I consider myself an incredibly lucky person. Like mm -hmm. I, there are certain things that have happened to me. I mean, I, I did definitely apply to stuff and, you know, I've just like, for example, when I was in, I was lucky enough to grow up in a area that had some incredible artists. So there was an amazing painter um, by the name of Malcolm Morley who lived down the street from me. Um, mm -hmm. And he was one of the first recipients of the Turner Prize. Oh, um, wow. And, you know, when I was an undergrad as a freshman, I 
ran, I used to work at the library and I ran into him at the library and I asked him if I could come and see his work. Mm -hmm. And he invited me to a studio and he asked me to critique one of his paintings, which first of all, he was a very intimidating person. And then also like, I'm a freshman who's like, no idea what I'm like, I just was sort of terrified. And after <laughs> talking with him, he offered me a job as an artist assistant. Oh, and wow. I ended up working with him all through graduate school. And he ended up being a really amazing mentor and friend. And I guess the reason I'm sort of digressing on that story is like so much of it is like, even if you're someone like me who's quite shy and doesn't love going up to people and talking to them, mm -hmm. um, you know, having, making that effort to engage people and to ask, it's incredible what happens when you ask people something. Mm -hmm. um, like say, I'm really interested in your research. Can I, you wanna talk about it? You wanna have coffee and talk about it? So I guess like in terms of my three things I would talk about is like the first would be like to be kind, like it's something that people don't tell you, but it's something that I really try to talk to my students about is like be kind and generous first, if you can oh, yeah. um, help other people before you think about what they can do for you, mm. um, be open-minded and engaged Mm -hmm. And then the final thing really is like, and this is, I know everybody says this is like, you got to just work. I mean, that, mm -hmm. I mean, whether it's sometimes it can just be going into the studio for three hours or two hours, or like, you know, if you're really lucky, you get like a full six hours one day, like that's amazing, but it's having a sort of regular practice mm -hmm. and kind of fumbling through that. Mm -hmm. And that I think is the most important thing of all. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, because it can be really easy, especially if you have other um, obligations like you do, um, and most artists do. Um, I think we. I know, mean, we all do. Yeah. Yeah. To to have <clears throat> to have this thing of like, well, I got to take care of everything else, and then I will take care of my art. Mm -hmm. But the art is the main thing that's like sustaining your career. So that should actually be like your primary thing. Well, and I think there's a balance there between like, and also I think the other thing too, is I, I do think, and the more and more I sort of get older, um, the more I believe this is like, you know, creative practice takes form in many, many ways. Like some people are artists and they're making artwork and some people are artists and they're like dying hair. And like both of those things are relevant and um, important creative practices. And I, I think they're, you know, it just depends on who you are and you have to be kind of kind to yourself in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there is, we have, I, I, I think of it as like, we have this like finite amount of creative energy every day. And it's like, what are you putting your creative energy into? Um, because it's being put into something. Um, so I, I bought a house, um, a couple months ago. And <laughs> That's the suck. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm rehabbing um, this house because yeah. it needed everything. And, um, and now it's like, there's just one bathroom left to do and that's it. And, um, and it's kind of like winding down, but during these past three months, I made like one piece. Um, and like, that's very little for me. And, um, but every day I was 
painting walls. I was learning mm -hmm. how to do tile. I was like, you know, and that that's been like very creative for me, honestly. Mm -hmm. So I totally resonate with what you're saying. And like your whole life is your canvas really. And um, yeah. Well, I think that's like that balance is always, um, you know, it, it changes all the time. Um, so like for me, I, my academic year job is I work as an administrator and I teach, which I love and all of that sort of feeds itself, but it requires a lot of sort of, you know, time and energy as a whole. And, and sometimes like my studio, I, I have to, you know, it took a little while to reconcile. Like sometimes my studio practice has to be lower down on that, that list. Mm -hmm. Like my students have to take priority at certain points. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's like a balance depending upon like uh, different projects you have. Like last fall, I was working on this show in Helsinki. So I knew I had three months to make these really large paintings, but I also knew I had X amount of things I had to do regarding school. So it was really about yeah. being incredibly mindful of scheduling and, you know, making sure I met those markers I set for myself. Absolutely. And yeah, maybe we should talk about your, your show in Helsinki. Like, tell me about, tell me about that. So the show in Helsinki is a second iteration of a project I did uh, last summer. Um, so I, I guess I, I could probably talk about shadow flyers a little bit because sure. that, that sort of brings the arc of where the Helsinki show is. So um, like many artists during COVID, um, my life got really, really small. So mm -hmm. um I was essentially, I spent two years at this table um, between uh, sort of running a program remotely, teaching remotely, mm -hmm. and then trying to figure out like what was happening with everything else. Um, I'm also somebody with an autoimmune disease. So mm -hmm. I couldn't really go to my studio, particularly when um, we weren't, when there weren't vaccines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so really, I was like sitting at my kitchen table, running Zoom classes, I would make little drawings at my kitchen table, but it really got restricted. Wow. So one of the things as it started looking like we could open up again, um, was I really wanted to kind of re-examine my practice. Mm -hmm. So my husband and I have a family friend um, who's a bat biologist, his name's uh, Thomas Lilly, um, and he's associated with the University of Helsinki. Um, and I was talking to him and I was like, let's do something together. This episode is sponsored by the Luminary Artist Academy. The Luminary Artist Academy is a six month self-paced transformational course for contemporary realist feminine artists to blossom into the higher level of professional success from the inside out. The Luminary Artist Academy was written for you. As an artist myself who has been through the dark night of my own soul and through the thickets of my own limiting beliefs, in order to come out on the other side, I feel the struggle and I know where you are. I know the desires that you feel and the frustration at feeling like they are out of reach. And I have discovered the keys to unlocking your own potential and totally transforming the reality of your creative practice and your experience as an artist in a very short time. 
after doing it myself. And I wrote the Luminary Artists Academy to share this process with you. So the Luminary Artists Academy is a comprehensive, detailed, step-by-step -step course that takes you on an odyssey through the inner chambers of your heart and soul to your creative practice and out into the world where you shine your confident feminine light as a luminary in your field. This course supports you every single step of the way to guide you into stepping into your highest version of yourself within your artistic career and your life. Don't let another year go by just thinking about it and without taking action. Being in limbo, saying next time or I'll do it later, is the reason why you feel like you're spinning your wheels and staying stuck. By doing the same things in the same way, you'll likely be in the same place you are now, six months from now, if you don't take action. Take the first steps today to believe in a different future for yourself. The gallery shows, press celebrating your work, and sales pouring in from your art is what you know you are meant for and what you ultimately deserve. Your most aligned artistic career is waiting for you. It's time to believe in yourself and value your dreams. I believe in you. Explore the course via the link in the show notes or at www.thevisionaryartistssalon.com. Like, I'm interested in your research. Every time you talk about it, I just sit there like this. Um, can I do something with you? And that sort of, and I guess this is sort of a, a really good example of like making opportunities for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like that conversation, which initially I was like, I'll make a piece that can hang in a bathroom. I don't care what it is. Like, let's talk and let's see if there's something we can do ended up being this really kind of amazing project that was installed in this historic museum in Lito in Finland last summer, um, which is this incredible site that is comprised of multiple historic buildings, mm -hmm. including a working uh, water mill from the 1800s, a miller's cottage, um, granary, a contemporary exhibition space. And it's this incredible site that has like for example where the mill is has been the site of a mill since the middle ages like wow. right next to it is a stone age burial site and sort of That's settlement oh no it's God. like such an incredible and thomas has spent a long time doing his uh research on dobenton bats that live there mm -hmm. so it became this big project that um ended up in being these uh sort of large scale acrylic on muslin paintings that were installed in the different historic buildings. Mm -hmm. um, so that exhibition was last summer. Um, and then I was invited by the Natural History Museum of Helsinki to wow. sort of bring that exhibition into their museum, their uh, special exhibition space. Um, so that was like a whole process of taking a kind of really specific, you know, site related pieces and then bringing it into a really large museum. So that uh, exhibition just went up. Um, I think the exhibition opened on January 24th and it's up through the end of April. That's amazing. Congratulations, first of all. Oh, thanks. Like, that's 
That's amazing. <laughs> and so, so they saw your work and they were like, this would be so cool in our museum. Yeah. And also because Thomas is affiliated with a museum. So he was wow. talking and I, and I should also say too, is like during that process, um, you know, that started as a collaboration between Thomas and I, but then we ended up bringing in a poet and writer to sort of write a whole narrative. I had to end up communicating with bat biologists from all over the world. I mean, it was like this whole amazing web that opened up from one conversation. Wow. So it's been an incredible opportunity. That is amazing. I'm just, I just got chills just thinking about how like awesome that became just because you started asking the question, you know, of collaboration. And I think that collaborations are so cool. And, um, I love that you started out by collaborating with somebody that really didn't have anything to do with the art world and you just followed your natural interests. And I think that this is really something that those listening could maybe take inspiration from. Like you probably have people in your circle of friends or colleagues who, you know, you have an interest in what they do. Um, and maybe there's some kind of way that you could collaborate. Um, and it could become like an even bigger opportunity for you. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's an amazing thing. And it's so funny how like the littlest conversation down the road can turn into this like huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. You just never really know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think part of it too is like really going into a conversation where it's not so much like what, you know, what can I get from you? But it's like, yeah. what can I give to you? Absolutely. And I think yeah. that's been like the driving force of at least this project for me, it's been really important of like, you know, how can I raise awareness about research and the importance of, in this case, bats. Um, and then, you know, in each relationship, it's been like that. So like when we went to the Nautilansky Museum, it was like, you know, how can I make these works in a way that respects the personhood of your buildings mm -hmm. and sort of um, highlights that rather than how do your buildings become a container for my work? Right. And, right. and like, that's been really, really important. Mm -hmm. So it's like working with it and not using it as kind of a, yeah, it's not just thinking of yourself. It's, it's more of a collaborative effect. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really cool. Amazing. I love that story. And um, for those of you who are listening, you should definitely go to Rebecca's um, website to see what we're talking about. She did these really amazing um, paintings with bats and inspired by bats. Um, it's just RebeccaSailorSack.com. And I will put that link in the show notes. So um, a couple other questions for you. How would you say that um, how important is self-belief in your journey of being an artist? Have you ever struggled with self-doubt um, with your journey of being an artist? How important is it to kind of believe in yourself? Well, I think like, and again, I can only speak from my personal experience, but I, I do think deciding to pursue, particularly being an artist, there's an element of self-delusion and sort of, <laughs> um, uh, you know, psyching yourself out to some degree. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, and I see that in myself, I see that in my students all the time is like, there are so many times when you're in the studio and you're just like, 
this is the worst thing I've ever made. And like, I, I don't know how to move forward from this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so much of our headspace, particularly if you're in a, a studio artist where you're kind of like working by yourself is like finding a weird place or a little magic where you can like make things really at stake with your paintings, like, or your work. But at the same time, you know, recognizing that it's just essentially like, particularly if we're talking about painting, like fat on a piece of cloth. Mm-hmm. So it's like this really interesting tension between something that needs to feel like it matters. And then at the same time, not have it be so precious that it makes it so you can't do anything. And I, I think that, you know, requires a sort of play of self-confidence and at the same time, kind of like reality check at the same time. And I think that to me is like a studio practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I can definitely say there are times where I've been in the studio and I'm feeling pretty like terrible about myself. And I'll be, I, I will actually talk, have like a conversation with myself in my head of like, no, you're a really good colorist. You can do this. Um, and it just is like, it's just the nature of making, I think. Yeah. That's so funny. Cause I have conversations with myself too. And they're definitely not just in my head. I actually talk to myself. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I'm sure I'm positive on the studio. If God forbid anybody can hear me on the other side of my wall, it's like, um, I'm sure I'm talking to myself. Yeah. So funny. Um, so tell us about your, um, how you manage your time between being a working artist and professor. So if you have any tips for time and energy management for other artists who are similarly juggling, um, like, uh, something that's it may be in the arts, but uh, maybe not, mm-hmm. but it's not directly painting all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have any tips for time management? I mean, the main thing, no, I don't. I, when you figure that out, let me know. I mean, it's just, okay. um, <laughs> I think it, it's a constant, I mean, I, all my colleagues say the same thing. I think everybody struggles with it. And every, and I think that's part of it is like recognizing that everybody struggles with it and you do what you can. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that at least, now having done this for a certain number of years um i've really recognized that one i have to put up barriers and boundaries sometimes um and the other thing too is i i have to be kind to myself and realize like there are only certain things i can control and then beyond Mm -hmm. that i do the best i can and and i think that is but i do think for academics anybody who has a a job that is kind of, um, you know, trying to negotiate many different voices. Mm-hmm. I think setting time that is just your time and that's your time in your creative space, whatever that is, is really, really critical. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, something that I've noticed is that, uh, you know, you can you can keep working on your teaching practice just forever. I mean, you, I mean, some people that's all they do, you know, that, and you know, that you can keep, that can be your entire career. Um, so you can keep working on that day and night. Um, also you can keep working on your art day and night. Like both of these things are never finished. There will always be tasks and there's never an end to it. So, um, you know, something that I have struggled with is just like, I get into the groove of one thing and I just don't want to stop. And I don't want to stop. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to stop. And then all of a sudden, like you look, you look at your 
um, studio work like a week or several weeks later and you're like, well, I haven't worked on that in forever. And you have to, at least for me, I have to be like, well, you know, these things are never going to be finished. This is an ongoing process. This is like a lifetime thing. So you have to actually just be like, well, I'm going to be doing this for two hours today. And then I'm going to be doing this for two hours today, you know, and you just have to like, because otherwise you, um, I don't know, I get, I get overwhelmed. Um, cause you want to be like finished with one thing before you start another thing. But I just have realized that like these things are never finished. So <laughs> you just have to dive right in. Very true. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your museum ex exhibitions. Um, you have exhibited in many museums. So can you tell us a little bit about how that happened for you, whatever you're comfortable sharing? Um, I know that, uh, yeah, just whatever you're comfortable sharing, because I know a lot of the artists listening would love to exhibit in museums as well. I would just, I mean, it goes back to what I said before is like, <clears throat> It's about talking to people and finding relationships. And again, I should say, like, particularly now, the museums I'm exhibiting are clearly not art museums. Like, and that's something, at least for me as a maker now, I find incredibly exciting is you're, you know, we always ask people, like, particularly when working with students, like, you know, who is your audience? Who are you making work for? And the audience for me at those museums is definitely not an art audience. And the idea that you can engage a really broad spectrum of people um, within this different context for me is incredibly exciting, particularly as somebody who came to exhibiting in these type of spaces from a gallery context, mm -hmm. which is, you know, white box, mm -hmm. making it for more people who are going in to look specifically at art. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the agenda is really different. So I think, I think yeah. Is different too. yeah, like one is very commercial and then the other is like, it's more about making an impact. I feel like. Like in a different kind of impact, I think, um, you know, like for example, this current exhibition in the Helsinki museum, you know, a lot of people that are going through there are kids. And like, you know, if I, you know, part of what we're talking about in terms of this project is like that bats who get such a horrible, sort of popular culture mm -hmm. rep, like they're like the worst. You mentioned a bad and everybody's like, ooh, right? Um, <clears throat> if I can make work that makes a kid, you know, really wonder at them and mm -hmm. then rethink their experience next time they see a bat or in potentially decide they want to study bats at some point. And that's mm -hmm. a really powerful thing. Yeah. So I think like that changes, I, I don't know, for me right now, where I am in my career, that feels really exciting. That's um, awesome. But back to your question, it's really just about making connections, mm -hmm. having a really good posse of people that you hang with, and also that you, um, that you're sort of building as a web, and then again seeing how you can sort of make opportunities happen for yourself in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's great. And I, you, you're talking about bats. I have a funny story about a bat. <laughs> um, so this past summer, I did a residency in France, the Chateau Orcavo residency. Mm -hmm. It was like a total dream. I made so much work there because I, I literally did all of my administrative work beforehand. And then, and then, um, I was able to just like focus on my work for like a month and it was heaven. Um, and 
but anyway, so um, where I was staying in the chateau, there's this like there's the top level, which um, which so I was staying at at the top level. This amazing little artist garret. It was like so charming. Absolutely. Yeah, um, but they said, oh, you can't keep the windows open in the evening because the bats will fly in. So of course, one night I was staying up there with a few other artists. Um, we forgot to close the windows. So there were bats in there <laughs> and there was, there that was, was amazing. And so I was like going to the shower one that night and it was like dark. It was like 11 PM. All of a sudden I see like this bat, it flies right in front of my face. Oh, wow. That is very lucky. That's a lucky thing to have that happen. Yeah. And, cool. um, yeah. And, and then I saw another one. I freaked out and I like jumped <laughs> in the room and, um, we got a couple of people together and we got like some buckets and we were, we, we were able to trap them and release them outside and obviously close the windows. But, um, it was just really funny. Like we were all laughing so hard. So that's my bat story. They were really cute too. <laughs> they are amazingly cute. It's, mm -hmm. it's like, um, and incredibly varied. So, and I would say before I even got involved in this project, I, you know, I was interested in bats on an abstract level, but now, uh, particularly having worked with Thomas, it's like, and also with this whole project, um, they're, they're amazing, like incredible little animals. So, um, yeah, you're yeah. a lucky person. So, so many different senses than we have as well. Like mm -hmm. with their, their hearing, they can see what they're hearing. Like that's mm -hmm. so amazing. Um, all right. So my other question is, uh, do you work alone or do you have help and assistance and how important is working with others to your practice? I, again, because I, I guess, um, I work alone in the studio with my dog, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> who's my studio assistant. Um, I have worked with interns in the studio. Um, I think now because my time is really limited, um, I try to make the most of any moment I have in the studio. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I kind of treat my studio time very selfishly. Um, mm -hmm. I know some people really rely on, or enjoy working with assistants and having multiple folks in the studio. I really just like to just put on my, you know, headphones and listen to audiobooks and like paint. Mm -hmm. So okay. that's pretty much what I do. Awesome. Um, so, Lastly, um, what are some dreams that you have for your art career in the future? And what encouragement would you give? <laughs> well, I think like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, my dream right now is like, you know, I'm, I'm working on this project um, and sort of it's been really tied to specific locations in Finland. So I'm interested now in terms of how that develops more locally. Um, mm -hmm. I'm interested in the role art can play in terms of talking about climate change um, mm -hmm. and our changing environment. And I hope that I can keep sort of exploring those different opportunities. Um, and then really like, you know, my goal is to make work I'm really happy with. And I think that, you know, I'm lucky in the sense that I don't rely on my studio practice to pay my bills, you know, my academic career and life pays for that. And then whatever I do in the studio is tangential to it. Mm -hmm. um, so it really is about what is a, 
you know, fulfilling experience, um, mm-hmm. in terms of the longevity of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess in terms of my advice to folks would be really, I mean, seriously is like to be kind to yourself. I think sometimes we put such unbelievably unrealistic expectations on like what we're supposed to be doing, what we're supposed to be doing right now. Um, and this sort of immediacy of success. And I think that we all need to kind of have a longer term vision mm-hmm. um, and also to really embrace the breadth of creative practice in your life yeah, and recognize that that's as valid. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's so nice. I just felt like my nervous system relaxed. Just like because <laughs> sometimes like renovating a house is like, that's your creative practice for a little while. And that's totally fine. Yeah. And I think like that recognition of like, that can be that for, for its, uh, you know, for the period that it needs to be is a okay. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to, um, a very wise friend recently about, um, feeling like, you know, when I'm working on my house, I feel like I'm work, I'm falling behind in my studio. And like, mm-hmm. um, like when you work on one thing, if you have another important thing in your life, you, sometimes you can feel like you're behind. And, um, he was like, well, why don't you just adopt a new belief around it? Like you, when you work on one thing, you work on everything, mm-hmm. you know, because, the things that you're working on in your life, they're all interconnected and they all are part of your life. They all support you. And um, yeah, they're all related. So it really gave me a lot more peace um, when, when I thought of it that way. So, yeah. The other last thing would be is don't be afraid of, of rejection and like, you know, putting yourself out there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so many times, you know, you never know what other people's agenda is in terms of these selection processes. I mean, having now been on how many juries, um, but then sometimes you'll get something like either through any institution, like for example, I could never have done this Shadow Flyers exhibition if I hadn't applied to a grant at my university and they recognize the project as something that, you know, was transformative in some ways. And that support was, was tremendous. And you don't have opportunities like that happen unless you apply for them. Mm-hmm. So I would just also say is like, don't, don't let one rejection, don't let 20 rejections, like kind of curb that enthusiasm Absolutely. and also that courage. Mm-hmm. I read, I read an article late, uh, recently about this artist. It's actually an article on, um, artwork archive. And uh, this one artist did an experiment where she applied to more opportunities and she um, she kept a tally of every opportunity and the ratio of her acceptances versus her rejections. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the more, the more that she applied to, the more that she was accepted to. Mm-hmm. So it's just mm-hmm. math, you know, Absolutely. and if you can kind of take that like narrative of rejection out of it and just look at it purely statistically, then, um, which I know for artists, sometimes it can be hard to do. Oh, it's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. And that's where, again, like you have to be kind to yourself and you have to be like, it's, it's okay. Like, this is not who I am. This is just one thing. Yes. And what is meant for you will be like aligned to you. So Mm -hmm. you just have to know that too. And you can't do them all. So you wouldn't even want to get them all. (laughs) 
That's so. very true. <laughs> so awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. I appreciate you um, taking the time for this amazing interview. Um, so nice getting to know you. And um, yeah, I'm sure that everybody loved hearing about your process. And um, if, if people, if galleries or um, collectors or anybody wants to know more about you, where can they find out more about you? I would actually, you know, it's like we all have websites now, but Instagram is really the best place, I think, to look at stuff. So I would just mm -hmm. go to Rebecca Sailor Sachs Studio is the mm -hmm. Instagram um, and you can reach out to me through there. Awesome. Very cool. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Have a great day. It was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much for listening to the Inspired Painter podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate you leaving a five-star review with your experience. This helps other people discover the podcast who might be encouraged by it as well. And if you are interested in booking a coaching call with me to create a plan for your art career and overcome limits that may be holding you back, please visit the link in the show notes or send me a DM on Instagram at Jessica Libor Studio. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, stay inspired.